Welcome to Redeemer's Church Weekly Message Podcast, where our mission is simple. We are a church that is passionate about loving God and loving people. And now, we hope you enjoy this week's message by Pastor Dwight Bennett. Could you all stand just for a moment? And Judy, if you could put this up, we're going to make a declaration together. Okay, so we're going to read this out loud together starting right now. The Lord makes me the head and not the tail, above and not beneath. I'm a new creation in Christ. The Spirit of God lives within me. And in all things, I am more than a conqueror through Christ that lives in me. Father, today, as we open up your word, I just pray that this would be an hour of inspiration. I pray this would be a time where people would sense and know the value that they have in your kingdom. Father, that we would be able to see the part that we can play in helping people move to that destination of healing, that destination of increased faith, that destination of ministry and purpose. And Father, we're so thankful to be able, God, to open your word and allow it to touch our hearts and to sink deep into our spirits for everything that you have in store for us. So I pray that every word that I speak today, every thing that I share, that there would be power in those words, that they would break yokes and set captives free. Father, that this would be a time of encouragement, that people could understand in the kingdom of God, there is such grace and mercy, and there is such great intrinsic value inside of each individual in this room and watching us online. And so, Father, we give you praise in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. amen. Somebody say amen. amen. My uh, couple series messages, man, I'm kind of messed up. This is a great day today. Hallelujah. I just want to send you home. Let's just bring the worship team back up and just sing some more. Woo, I love days when you just get messed up in the Lord. Life after resurrection, LAR, this is my theme of the last couple weeks and the couple weeks ahead of us. Uh, Today, I want to talk about forgiveness. You know, when we talk about the life after resurrection, sometimes we miss the idea of how powerful forgiveness is in the process. How many of you realize Unless we were forgiven of our sins, we wouldn't be in the relational place that we are with Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to realize something. The way you view a person is the way that you will minister to them. Let me repeat that. The way you view a person is the way that you will minister to them. So, we, Pastor Caleb talked about nationalities today. And there's a lot of nationalities that don't get along. And uh, uh, we could look at our nationalism. We could say El Salvador is much better than Guatemala and Guatemalans are great and Mexicans aren't. And and Liberians, Patrick, are the best. But the Kenyans over here would shout you down and say that's not the case. And so when you have a diverse body like this, and I'm not leaving out the Swedes and the Russians either. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Or the Americans, hallelujah, for all of you who were going to bust me after service and say, what about the Americans? (laughs) But the way we view people is the way we minister to them. And I'm going to share some things with you today that 
uh, I hope uh, will accentuate what I'm talking about. So when we think of who we are in Christ, you have to understand that you have tremendous value in, in, in the kingdom. How do we know that? Because if, if you don't have tremendous value, then the fact of Jesus Christ going to the cross is meaningless. He went to the cross. It was very meaningful. He died for each of us, and that's because we have tremendous value. You know, when the Bible says in Psalm 139, he knew you in your mother's womb, he put you in there because he knew when you would come out of there that you would be shaped and molded and have the opportunity to grow and to look like Christ one day and to find him as your personal savior and to be able to receive all of the value statements that Jesus has made about us. I could go on and on and on and just recite passage after passage about the value statements that God has made about us. We look at John 12, 32. He said, if I be lifted up from the earth, I would draw all men unto myself. Yeah. What a value statement. He didn't say, if I be lifted up from the earth, I would draw all of those who only love me to, to myself, did he? No, he said all men. And it's his heart that none should perish, it says in the book of Peter, but that all should come to the saving knowledge of who he is. Why? Because he finds intrinsic value in each and every person that is on the earth. I don't care if you're Hindu or Muslim or, or what your bent is, you're atheist, you're gay, you're whatever, you're, it doesn't matter. He loves you. And he says, when I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto myself. Uh, Tina came up to me and when Caleb was talking about the countries and everything, she said, Pastor, these are family. These are family. And every place that we go, every nation we minister in, I can tell you my family members in every one of those nations. It's amazing how when God knits your heart, you're no longer a this or a that, but you're a brother or sister in Christ. And that's the only club that's worldwide like that. Amen? And he said, if I be lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all men unto myself. Why? Because you have intrinsic value. John 14, verses 1 through 6, he says that I go to prepare a place for you. If it were not so, I would have told you. And John famously says, where are you going? We can't find you. And he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes unto the Father except through me. But he says, you have such value that I am preparing a place for you to go. And what he's saying is, is as a believer, you're so valuable to him that he loves you while you're on earth and he's going to love you for eternity. So although there'll be that passing from here to there, you go from life to life. Why? Because you have great value. The, the third statement that I just want to share here, and this is a statement for everyone who doesn't feel worthy. Everyone who says, I wish somebody could know me in my heart. I wish somebody could just see me for who I am. In Luke 23, verses 39 through 43, this is Jesus on the cross. And you got the guy on the left hand busting his chops, the guy on the right hand begging for forgiveness. Jesus has nails in his hand. He's been beaten to death. And he looks at the one guy who, who wants him to have mercy. And he says to him, today you will be with me in paradise. Why? Because unto his last breath, 
He was making a value statement about how he sees people, no matter where they are and where they have been. This guy knew he deserved to be on the cross. He was a true criminal, a true uh, uh, societal uh, despot. He was somebody who needed to be there per their laws, not Jesus, but he was. And Jesus said, that statement of faith right there is going to assure you that you're going to be, I know that you made mistakes. I know that your life wasn't what you planned. I, I don't know. Do you all realize that everybody's got a story? Uh, no. Do you really realize that everybody has a story? Kathy Snow and I were just sharing out in the, in the foyer this morning and she we were just talking about she goes you know my maiden name's Bennett and she's sharing some things and I see where are your people from I said well they're from Portsmouth well no where do you originate from you know I've already told you this story well we we originate from hillbilly uh you know when I did ancestry.com they said you're hillbillies and I said praise the Lord that's just who you are everybody's got a story but you know what's sad is, is that we just don't take the time to hear it. And we don't hear it because we look at people and we determine whose story we want to hear and whose story we don't want to hear. We determine how busy we are and if somebody, we, if we encounter somebody and we're too busy, we don't want to hear their story because that's going to take up our time. How many times have I said to you, ministry is messy and it takes time and it always happens at, the, happens at the most inconvenient moments. It just does. But those are three powerful value statements that Jesus is making and he's not leaving anyone out. None of us are left out of that value statement. Turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 18. And we're going to look at the parable of the unforgiving debtor. It says, then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? G Peter's being super generous. He knows he denied Jesus three times, so he's going to double that and then add one just because he's so spiritual, right? And so three times for the times I denied you, three times because, you know, I'm a good guy, and then one extra because I'm holy. So, but then Jesus' response is blowing him out of the water. He says, no. Not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. In other words, if you run into somebody in your life that you have to forgive 490 times, somewhere in between that time, they're going to say, what is wrong with you? How can I be so mean to you and you still forgive me? And you're going to say, because Jesus loves you for the 316th time. Jesus loves you for the 378th time. And by about the 415th time, they'll probably get saved. And so Jesus is like, don't quit on anybody, okay? Everybody has value. Everybody has a story. And for some people, it just takes time to get that story out. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. And in the process, one of his debtors uh, uh, was brought in who owed millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered, now listen, that he be sold along with his wife and his children and everything he owned to pay the debt. That's what used to happen in that time. Okay? But the man fell down before the master and begged him. 
He said, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him and he released him and he forgave his debt. Released him and forgave his debt. But when the man uh, left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. And then the king called uh, called in the man at, that he had forgiven and said, You're evil, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? And then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. That's what... Uh, the Heavenly Father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Now, just a couple of things that I want to share about this. First is this. Jesus shows how unforgiveness can restrict what God would do in others. Jesus shows how unforgiveness will restrict what God can do in others. How do I know that? Because the guy that got thrown in jail, did you hear of the time he got released? No, there's no end to that tale because unforgiveness has that kind of power over people's lives. And when we get into that place where we're not willing to forgive people, we're holding them back and you're holding yourself back. Now, I'm not going to get into the whole display of drinking poison and all of that that we always hear. I'm just going to say straight up, the deal is unforgiveness hurts you and them, okay? And you would say, I don't want to forgive them because they hurt me. That's not the point. You're not forgiving them and, 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 and uh, uh, saying it's great that you hurt me. You're forgiving them so you can be free and they can be free. It's a powerful testimony. When Jesus went to the cross and, and did what he did, and the one guy is here, here he would have forgave both of them. And it was, it was this guy's, the spirit on the, the thief on the left that put Jesus on the cross, and he knew it. He knew it, but he would have still forgiven him. The second thing that I want you to see is this. The spirit of unforgiveness exacts a toll on your human body, your emotions, your spirit, your, your physical being. It ex extracts a toll on that. How do we know? Because we see everyone who was asking for forgiveness, they fell on their faces. They cried out to God they or the, who, who they were a debtor to. And they, they begged them to uh, not uh, uh, send them to prison and not send, sell their wives and not to do those things. And it's an emotional thing when we get into that place to where we either need forgiveness or we have to offer forgiveness. Now, we see exactly two different ways how people handled it. And the first one is the right way, obviously. But what was happening there is that, that one guy had compassion on the one guy's story. 
He had no idea what brought him to that place, most likely. Why would he have such a debt that high that he couldn't pay, that that debt would render him to have to be in prison for his entire life? What happened? What was his story? Well, we don't hear that in here, but we know the guy had a story. And then the, the king forgave him, not even knowing the fullness of his story. Why? because he had compassion on what he emotionally saw in the man's life. This last uh, week, we had the opportunity to go to dinner with two of our dear friends, Emmanuel and Samari, and uh, we were at a restaurant. And I knew when the waiter came up to us that this guy had a story. I knew it. You could just see it on him. And so he came, genuine smile on his face, uh, you know, hey, I'm here to serve you and, and, and make your experience awesome here. And I said, uh, I said his name because, you know, everyone has a name badge that works at a restaurant. They're not, hey, you and hey, waiter and where's our guy? They got a real name. They're a real person. You're just a customer. You're not the owner of that restaurant. It's Sunday and restaurant workers hate working Sunday. Because we all go in there and say, hey, you, uh, hey, buddy, hey, hey, sister, where are you at? Do you know that that restaurants are understaffed right now and it might take you twice as long to get your stuff? If you can't wait twice as long, stay home, make your own food. OK, but do not go somewhere today and act like a heathen and claim you're a Christian. Okay, don't go into a restaurant demanding this, that, and the other, and then you leave a 7.5% slimy tip for the person who's working their, their um, I almost said it. They're working really hard. And they got a story. They got a story. They got a story. This guy had a story. And every time he would come to our table, man, I just lathered him with kindness and thankfulness and, you know, how amazing he was. And, and then we filled out the, the bill and I gave him a 22% tip and, and uh, it was a big bill and he worked hard for it. And we were getting ready to leave and he came up to us with tears in his eyes. And he said, listen, I just want to thank you because right from the beginning you valued me. You made me feel like I, I was here to make your experience great, that together we were going to do something fantastic here. And he began to share his story. And man, did he have a story. I mean, a long story. And so what did we do? We patted him on the back and left. And no, we prayed for him right there in the restaurant. We just all joined hands and prayed for this guy weeping. And we put value into his life. Why? Because that's the right thing to do. Because everybody's got a story. I don't know what brought him to the place that all those things happened to him, but all I know is they happened to him. And for the last five years, he's got it together and he's trying to hold it together. And he was facing a million challenges at that moment. But let me tell you something. If you have a heart of unforgiveness, you won't give a flying rip what's going on in that guy's life and you will not look at him as anything else than the guy who was supposed to serve you listen jesus didn't come into the world to be served he came to seek and to save that which was lost and that was his number one mission and that needs to be yours too and if this is stepping on somebody's toes then congratulations wear steel-toed boots next week and maybe it won't hurt so bad 
okay? We fail to minister to people because we fail to care about their story. And this is what happened to the second guy. Man, he got everything he could imagine, but he cared so little that he couldn't find out what the other guy's story was. And that's, that's sad. So we need to respect the value of the people that were around. We especially need to ex uh, 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 feel the value of the people that we need to either forgive or ask forgiveness of. When is the last time that you have ever asked anybody to forgive you? I mean, really meant it. I mean, I had to ask my wife this week to forgive me because I was running off at the mouth and blah, blah, blah. Our house got hit by hail. Our car's got 50 dings in it. We just had a new roof and I'm like going up, blah, blah, blah. And she's like giving me that Tammy smile like, really? Who are you? I mean, that's not who you are. And so she went outside and I collected myself and she came back in and I said, hey, can you forgive me? She goes, for what? And I said, you know what? You know what? Because I'm being an idiot. And I said, please forgive me. Yeah, I'll forgive you. But you know what? That feels so good to be able to say, can you forgive me? Turn with me to uh, Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. And let's start in verse 27. Luke 6, 27. Okay, but to those who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Boy, that is just a great statement. <laughs> Bless those who curse you. It only gets better. Pray for those who hurt you. If somebody slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek. Also, if someone demands your coat, offer your shirt as well. Give to anyone who asks you when things are taken away from you. Don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would do the, have them do to you. If you love only those who love you, why should you get any credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to only those who do good to you, why should you get any credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay, why should you get credit? Because even sinners lend to other sinners for a full return. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting uh, to be repaid. Then your reward will be from, he from heaven will be very great. And you will be truly acting as children of the Most High. For He is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. Jeez. You must be compassionate, just as your father is compassionate. Two things here. I don't know how many of you have seen the movie Les Miserables, but it's an amazing movie about forgiveness and dedicating somebody's life and moving on after something was wrong. This guy escapes from prison, Jean Valjean, 
I just love saying his name. And so then he goes to the priest's house after he's running. The priest takes him in, feeds him, loves on him. And then what does Jean Valjean do? What every criminal does, he stole all of the silver out of the priest's house and ran away. And, and the priest's lady is saying, you should have called the police. That guy's a no good, nothing, and all of this kind of stuff. And then the knock comes on the door. Here's three police officers have him and all of the silver in his hand and he comes in and they say to the priest here's the guy that stole your stuff and we caught him the other and the, and the priest goes oh this man didn't steal from me he said as a matter of fact jean valjean here you should have took the candelabras too and then you should have took the other glasses here that are silver so when you sold all of that you would have even more money to live and jean valjean's like <laughs> <laughs> and, the, he's, and the police are like, you're serious, right? And he said, yeah, I'm serious. We know this man, and I gave him all the silver. And so then the police left, and he said, why did you do that? And he said, because God loves you, you know? And I, he would do whatever it took to get him to that place to show his, his uh, sincere apology to him. Dale Carnegie is a book of uh, writer of old time books, and uh, he talks about how to win friends and influence people. And he writes this in uh, one of his chapters. He says, this is what everyone wants to hear. He said, wouldn't you like to have a magic phrase that would stop arguments, eliminate all ill feelings, create goodwill, and make the other person listen attentively? Yes, all right, here it is. I don't blame you one iota for feeling as you do. If I were you, I would undoubtedly feel just as you do. If you use that statement, people will say, wow. An answer like that will soften the most cantankerous old cuss alive. And you can say that and be 100% sincere because if you were the other person, of course, you would feel just as he does. Now listen to this. Take Al Capone. For example, suppose you had inherited the same body and temperament and mind that Al Capone had. Suppose you had his same family, his same environment, and same experiences that he had. You would then be precisely what he was and where he was. For it is those things and only those things that made him what he was. The only reason, for example, you're not a rattlesnake is because your parents aren't a rattlesnake. You deserve very little credit for being what you are. And remember, the people who come uh, to, to you irritated, bigoted, and unreasonable, they deserve very little credit for being what they are. They're poor, sorry little devils. Pity them. Sympathize with them. Say to yourself, there but for the grace of God go I. Listen to this, three-fourths of the people you will ever meet are hungering and thirsting for sympathy. Give it to them, and they will love you. I once gave a broadcast about the author of Little Women, Louise May Alcott. Naturally, I knew uh, she had lived and written her immortal books in Concord, Massachusetts. But without thinking what I was saying, I spoke of her visiting her old home in Concord, New Hampshire. And if I had said New Hampshire only once, it might have been forgiven. But alas and alack, I said it twice. 
I was deluged with letters and telegrams, stinging messages that swirled around my defenseless head like a swarm of hornets. Many were indignant, a few insulting, and one colonial dame who was now living in Philadelphia vented her scorching wrath on me. She couldn't have been any more uh, bitter if I'd accused Miss Alcott of being a cannibal from New Guinea. As I read the letter, I said to myself, thank God I'm not married to that woman. I felt like writing her and telling her that, although I had made a mistake in geography, that she had a far greater mistake in common courtesy. That was just my opening sentence. And then I was going to roll up my sleeves and tell her what I really thought. But I didn't. I controlled myself. I realized that any hot-headed fool could do that, and that most fools would do just that. I wanted to be above fools, so I resolved to try to turn her hostility into friendship. It would be a challenge, a sort of a game I would play. I said to myself, after all, if I were she, I would have probably felt just as she did. So I determined to sympathize with her viewpoint, and the next time I was in Philadelphia, I called her on the telephone, and the conversation went something like this. Mrs. So-and-so, you wrote me a letter a few weeks ago, and I want to thank you for it. In incisive, cultured, well-bred tones, she said, to whom do I have the honor of speaking to? And he said, I'm a stranger to you. My name is Dale Carnegie. You listened to a broadcast I gave about Louise May Alcott a few Sundays ago, and I made the unforgivable blunder that she had lived in Concord, New Hampshire. It was a stupid blunder, and I want to apologize for it. It was so nice of you to take the time to write me. Is that the letter you would have penned? Let me tell you something. Writing the letter you would want to have penned is therapeutic, and so is throwing it away. And I've done that several times in my own life. I'm sorry, Mr. Carnegie, that I wrote as I did. I lost my temper. I must apologize. No, no, you're not the one to apologize. I am. Any school child would have known better than to have said what I said. I apologized over the air the following Sunday, and I want to apologize to you personally now. I was born in Concord, Massachusetts, she said. My family had been prominent in Massachusetts affairs for two centuries, and I'm very proud of my native state. I was really quite distressed to hear you say that Miss Alcott lived in New Hampshire, but I'm really ashamed of that letter. I assure you, uh, you were not one-tenth as distressed as I am. My error didn't hurt Massachusetts, but it did hurt me. And it is so seldom that people of your standing and culture take time to write people who speak on the radio. I do hope you will uh, write me again if you detect an error in my talk. And she said, you know, I really like very much the way you have accepted my criticism. You must be a very nice person. I should like to know you better. And so there is a way to, as he said, come off as a fool, or there is a way to diffuse a situation. And I want to encourage you to be one who diffuses situations. I want to encourage you to be the one that will take uh, Luke 6, 27 through 35 and, and take that to heart. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, I've been wronged many times in my life. 
I had a guy come early in our marriage, and he, want, he was going to do our roof, but he needed the money for the shingles. So what did I do? I gave him the money for the shingles. Do you think he ever came back? No. <laughs> no, he didn't come back. And guess who learned a valuable lesson there, amen? But guess what? That guy must have been in an extremely terrible, desperate state to actually come to my house and, and steal from me, from my face, and then go do what he had to do. And so there was a point in time that we had to release him. Father, bless this guy. You know, let this not be the thing that marks us for life because I don't want every time somebody comes to the house that I'm going to think that they're this shyster that's coming to rip me off. But only I can control that. Because the next person who comes to me and is not that shyster does not deserve the, the uh, verbal beating that the other guy should have got just because he shows up in their place. But unless your heart gets in the right place to be able to do the things that are the best for you to do, you're not going to be able to minister effectively as God would have you to minister. One Sunday morning, I was preaching my heart out like I do every time I get up here to preach. I'm passionate. I'm on fire. And I was reading from the book of Ruth. And, and uh, I think Oprah had her big book clubs back then and everything. And, and the, uh, the text said Orpah. That was the name Orpah. But if you just put the P and the R together, you have Oprah, not Orpah. Well, I had a wonderful lady who is no longer uh, with us anymore. After the sermon, she came up and scorched me at the pulpit for what a terrible error you had made, degrading Orpah's name with Oprah's name. And I was like, oh, wow, did I didn't even know I did it. I mean, I was reading 100 miles an hour. And actually, my wife had just got done telling me a month ago, honey, you're reading words that aren't in there. You have got to go to the eye doctor and get your eyes checked. And sure enough, but this wonderful lady was kind and generous enough to come and rip my biscuits right at the pulpit, right after service. And I said, wow, what a terrible mistake. I'm so, um, so sorry that that affected you in the way it did. And I hope you can forgive me and then... The future, when I read, I'll try to get better. <sighs> That's what I said, but it's not what I felt like saying. But I knew a fool would stand at this pulpit and degrade all the ministry that has been done here by taking one foolish person's statements and ripping them and trying to tear them down. So... It wasn't worth that encounter happening at a place where God is supposed to be touched and, and reviled. Verse 37, do not judge others and you will not be judged. Do not contemn others and it will come back and it will not come back. Wait a minute. See, here I go. Do you, do you want to see? Do you want me? I just went to the eye doctor. I still can't read. Uh, Lord, your timing's so impeccable. Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn others, or it will all come back against you. Forgive others, and you will be forgiven. 
Give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount uh, you give will determine the amount that you get back. Then Jesus uh, uh, gave the following illustration. Can one blind person lead another? Can one person slander one person and then another slander them back? Can a blind lead a blind? Won't they both fall into a ditch? Students are not greater than their teacher, but the student who was fully trained will become like the teacher. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying, friend, let me help you get rid of the speck in your own eye when you can't see past the log in your own? Hypocrite. First, Get rid of the log in your own eye, and then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. In other words, if you work to clean your heart up, then maybe God will give you compassion for their story and then help them to come to the better place that you are as well. So we need to recognize that forgiveness depends on our own forgiveness of others. And the last thing that I just want to say is this, and I'm not even going to read anymore. The last thing is this. The greatest example of forgiveness is Jesus himself. And if Jesus can stand on a cross with nails in his feet and in his hands and with the brutal beating that he took, and he can look down upon all of those who put him on the cross, and he can say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, I have no room for unforgiveness in my life if I profess to be a follower of Jesus. Would you stand with me? Father, today I thank you for this tremendous time that we've had with you. I thank you, God, for all the great things that are occurring. And Jesus, I'm thankful that we are living the life after your resurrection. And we can learn so much from you. And we can... Uh, work to be more like you and we can be more patient and listen to people's stories that we can be uh, more open God to take that extra moment for the people that have something going on they got a deal in their heart and, 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 and they just need to tell somebody what's happened to them and Father let us minister in love let us forgive with our hearts uh, uh, truly uh, sorrowful for what we have done. And Father, we just thank you today that as believers, that we can come into that place where people's lives can be transformed because of the love that we truly have for them. Jesus, fill our hearts with the same compassion that you have, that no one should perish and that all should come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so today, let us come, let us move from this sanctuary with a gladness of heart. Let us purpose to sound and look more like Jesus each moment of this week. And may we be the one that gives compassion to the story that needs to be told. And Father, today we just give you praise in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have an amazing week and we'll see you again next week.
Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. We hope you were challenged, encouraged, and inspired as you listened to this teaching from God's Word. For more messages or information about our church, please go to www.redeemers.life.